Hi, and welcome to Cameron's Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. We hope you're blessed by today's message. Uh, uh, for repentance is metanoia. What is the word metanoia means? means a change of mind. It is actually a 180 degrees turn. You're going to one direction and you see that you're going wrong and you must return. You must change because the way you're going is the way of destruction. You are heading towards a frontal collision with something that can either paralyze you, cripple you for life, or take your, your life away, or can kill you. And when God saw his people going to a direction that was destructful, or, or is that? Yes. So he, he, they, he saw that they were going down. Um, imagine, um, well, in, in, in my town, it's, it's called the, the capital of the mountain. That means you have some ups and downs everywhere. And there are some hills which are really, really down. And those heavy lorries that come, sometimes they lose the, the brake. And sometimes on the side of the road, there is this alley of sand and, and that where when the lorry is still as heavy, he loses, loses the brakes, can't brake anywhere, he must turn and at least try to stop somehow. One, there is nothing of that. God have mercy. And I've seen some horrible things happening. Going over small cars and, and disasters is, is there. Just for your imagination, you know what I'm talking about. This is exactly how God saw the people and the time of Zechariah. Let me tell you now, we are in an even, even more um, statement. Huh? Yes, whatever it is, that's what it is. And then we are colliding against a big wall or a rock right in front of us. God is warning us every time. Return. Return from what? Return from your rebellious attitude against me. Back, back, yeah. Return from the wrong direction that you're going because that you're going to end up dying or, or somehow damaging a lot of things and the people around you will also suffer. From the religi- religiosity to a relationship with the Holy God. God is not looking for you to practice a five times prayer a day or ten times prayer a day or, or, or a fasting every week. No, God is looking for a heart that knows that there is a, is a sinner and it needs forgiveness. But, but listen, but as a Christian, we must break that cycle, which is. Sin, confess. Sin, confess. Sin, confess and sin again. No, we must break that cycle is sin, confess and resist. 
That's what the Bible tells us to do. Resist the devil, he will flee from, flee from you. So we break that cycle in Jesus' name. Sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, and sin again, 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 again. No, sin, confess, and resist. Stand firm. Put the armor of God on your life. And you see how wonderful, what's the difference God will make in your life. And how when that cycle is broken, how God will make you fruitful in everything you do. There are people who have difficulty understanding where they have to turn to. They have to return from your sinful nature. And I found that interesting as well, that picture, because it shows that something is growing out of heart. Exactly the sinful nature. But return to whom? Return to God. Because you are going the wrong way. So go back. You have to be determined to go back. And then, this scripture says, if you return to me, I will restore you so you can continue to serve me. Do you know where this passage is? It's in Jeremiah. I forgot about where exactly. But I know it's in Jeremiah. I forgot to put the quote there for you, but it's Jeremiah. Next for me, please. Now, I may want to stop on the next slide for a while. Can I have the next one? Okay, sorry. Do you know, return to whom? To God. But where should we return and stop to we should just stop at the cross. I put some pictures here. Some people are very, you're very familiar with the cross. I want you to look at this picture. And that's a cemetery, by the way. If you don't know, that's why we all go in one day. Right? Anyway, that's the problem of the church where you, sound, you go every Sunday. This is what probably somebody wears um, as a protection or was a declaration, but there are people who have difficulties understanding the contrast and the paradoxes in relation to the statement uh, we make about God and his character. Here is a list of some of these questions that they probably have hunted you as well. How can God be just and meek? How can God be just and meek. How can he dispense truth and mercy upon us? How can he redeem the sinner without endorsing the sin? You see, this is our perspective, remember. This is our perspective, this is our question. How can be a holy God... Or how God, how he can be holy and at the same time ignore our mistakes. How can a God of love punish us for our mistakes and send us to hell? As I said, that's from our perspective. But there are only two solutions in our perspective. Equally irrevocable. This is our perspective. But from his perspective, from God's perspective, there is a third. Or there is the right one, actually. And the third is called grace, shown and expressed 
on the cross of Christ. The cross. How do we see the cross? This is my picture comes up now. How do you see the cross? You may see a cross on the, on the top of a church. Now, back, stay there. On the, on, the, on, the, on the top of a church. You may see crosses when you go pass by a cemetery, when you go to a cemetery with somebody's burial, you see a lot of crosses all around. What does the cross mean? What does it tell you when you see a cross? And then some people use the cross on their necks, some for protection, other to proclaim that they are Christian. You know, sometimes you can walk down the streets without seeing, without seeing a cross everywhere. You see a cross everywhere. As I said, in the church town, in the cemeteries, and, and on somebody's neck, you can see a hundred crosses engraved in the ring or suspended like that one. But the cross is a universal symbol of Christianity. Although the disciples before, the symbol the disciples used to identify themselves was a fish. But let's see a little more about the cross. Whatever it is, you think it's a bit kind of a, an odd choice, isn't it? It is strange that a symbol of torture, because the cross in those days was a symbol of torture. The Roman Empire decided to use the cross to touch and to kill those who rebelled against Roman Empire, Roman authority, and those who were bad people, really bad people, would be hung on a cross, nailed on a cross, to be shamed and to be forgotten. Normally, if you look at the Roman history, the Romans for years tried tried to hide the message or, 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 or what happened in the cross. If you see the history books, you don't see, because there was a very common way of killing people those days. But the Roman hi historians, they tried to hide, but the someone came along one day, they couldn't deny. Why? Because they killed an innocent man on the top of a hill. And no historians could deny or could ignore that on that cross was the Son of God. Symbol of torture and despair for its victims would embody a message, a horrible message to the people. But would this message be or would embody a message of hope? People might say, symbols of other religions are more optimistic. Okay, let's take Judaism, for example. What is the symbol of Judaism? It's the Star of David, right? And then you have Islam. What is the symbol of Islam? It's a, it's a crescent, right? And for Buddhism, what is the symbol of Buddhism? It's a lotus flower. But Christianity, what is the symbol of Christianity? A cross. Why a cross for Christianity? Why an instrument of execution would you wear or around your neck 
a miniature of an electric chair. Think about how ridiculous, how awful that would be, or how sadic or sadistic. Would you hang a gold-plated executioner's whip on a wall of your house? Would you? I wouldn't. But would you print a painting of a firing squad on a postcard or a, a picture of a gas chamber put right on your, on your wall, on your living room? Would you? How many of you would? I'll pray for you. But we do it with a cross, don't we? We do it with a cross. Many people make the sign of the cross when they pray. When they are afraid. When they see somebody possessed. Or they see something weird. They find it's a demon. Or, or they are home alone. And then suddenly they hear, they hear a noise somewhere upstairs. Oh, God have mercy. Huh? You know, many make the sign of the cross to protect themselves when they feel afraid. Would you make a sign of a guillotine? To protect yourself. Instead, the triangular gesture that many people make, starting from the forehead and then crossing to their shoulders when they pray. Some people do that, but how about pretending that you're fighting Kung Fu? Huh? You, you, you make that sign to protect yourself. How would you feel? How would you feel? Why are you laughing? <laughs> but why is the cross the symbol of our faith? To find the answer, I want to ask you just to look at the simple message or look at the cross itself. Just look at the cross. What can you see on the cross? To find an answer, just don't look too far. Just look at the cross itself. Its design couldn't be simpler. One horizontal and one vertical beam. One reaches out and reaches all, encompassing as the love of God is. The other points upwards, just like the holiness of our God. It is an intersection. It is an, interse an intersection where God meets us. One represents the width of his love. The other shows the height of his holiness. His standard as a holy God. The cross is the intersection where man meets God. That's why God is calling us to return to himself. Return to me, says the Lord. When we return to him, we must return to the point at the cross. The cross is where God rescues men from his misery. The cross where, is where God sets his heart on uh, the misery of a sinful man. That's what the, the, the word mercy means. Put a heart in somebody's misery. The cross is where God gave his children without 
gave his children forgiveness without lowering the standard of his character. How could he do this? In one sentence, I could say that God placed our sin on his son and punished him there. It was there that he set his heart on our misery. When you call for mercy, remember, God put his heart in our misery. That's why we call mercy, O oh God. Have mercy on your people. He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's what Second Corinthians tells us. Righteousness of God in him. Or, as someone stated, Christ never sinned, but God treated him as a sinner so that Christ could make us acceptable to God. I wanted to contemplate the single moment. God is on his throne. You are here on earth. And between you and God, suspended between you and heaven is Jesus Christ on the cross on that day saying to you and I proclaiming for you and I here in the future more than 2,000 years ago I have made a way for you to be reconciled with God. I made a way for you to return to God. Your sins were placed in Jesus. God who punished sin releases his legitimate wrath on him for my mistake, for your mistakes, for my sin, for your sin. Jesus takes the punishment. You don't. Considering that Christ is between you and God and that Christ is in front of you right now, let me tell you, he receives the blow. You do not. Sin is punishment but you're safe. Safe in the shadow of the cross. You are on the other side of the cross because when God looks at you, he can't see you because he sees a cross in front of you. When he looks at you and me, he doesn't see in our sins or our mistakes, our failures. He sees the blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. It takes away the sins of the world. You are on the other side of the cross. When God looks at you, he looks through the cross. That's why when we return to God, we have to return to the cross. Where we die for ourselves and so Christ can live. God doesn't see you, as I said, and I'll say it again. He sees the blood that flows from the cross and covers you completely. God cannot see your sins because of the blood of Jesus that purifies you. This is what God did. But why would he do this? Moral duty? A divine obligation? No. God is not obligated to do anything for you and I. He had the right to punish us and send us to hell. And to destroy us forever. Anyway, consider what he did. Do you know what he did? He gave his son. His only son. Would you do it? 
Would you do it? Would you offer your child's life for someone else? I wouldn't give it. Maybe there could be someone I would probably give my life for. But if someone asked me to make a list of people, I would hand it over one of my daughters. In order for them to be saved, I tell you, the paper would definitely be blank with no, with only two signatures, mine and my wife say, no, we are not giving it. I wouldn't need a pen for that either. There would be no names on the list. Trust me. But when it comes to God, it is a different thing. It is a whole different thing. But God, God's list contains your name. Contains my name. Contains your name, Marcus, Jim, Andrew, Margaret. Akash, Lilia, everyone, you name it, put your name on that list because you are on the list of God's love. Since the foundation of the world, your name is written there on the list of God's love. That includes me, thank God for that. You know, if we can speak of the extent of God's love, let me tell you, this is the extent of God's love. Can I have back that cross? And this was the reason for the cross. And John says, because God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And this is the reason why for God so loved the world. Just as in such a powerful and audacious way, the center being proclaims the holiness of God and the horizontal being declared the extension of his love. Every time you look at the cross, I want you to look at the cross this way. First of all, the cross is empty because he rose from the dead, hallelujah. He's alive. But the cross is a reminder for us how much he loved us. And that there is a now a connection and a free way to God. This is how extent his love is. I wish right now you would be able to fathom the depth of God's love for you and the circumstances you're going through. There is nothing in this world that God cannot change and make it new. There is nothing in the world, the only thing that prevents you and I to be transformed by the power of God and everything renewed in us is if we do not want our sins to be forgiven or we don't want to leave our sins behind. Whatever happened to you in the past, whatever your struggles in the past, Whatever your circumstances were, how you rose, you've been brought up, you cannot allow the past, your past, to determine your future because now that you once know Christ, the Bible says you're a new creature in Him. Everything has passed and now all things have become new. 
Unless you don't want the new things of God, then live in the past. But God wants to change that in your life. He wants to restore your life. He wants to restore your family. He wants to restore the church. And he wants you to come back to him. How far are you from God right now? Aren't you happy that when you read John 3.16, the Bible didn't say, John didn't say, because God so loved the rich. God so loved the clever. Huh? God so loved the famous. No, the text does not say because God loved the Europeans, the Africans, the South, the South Americans. No. It doesn't say that God loved the intellectual, the wise. No, the Bible says because God loved the world. When you read John 3.16, we simply and happily, hallelujah, read, For God so loved the world that he gave. How great is God's love? It's enough to save the whole world, to love the whole world. Hallelujah. Big enough for the whole world. Are you included in the world? Or are you some kind of alien? Is any alien here? I don't believe. I don't think so. How many of you are on earth? Raise your hands. Only a few. Where are you now? In the heavenly realms? Hallelujah. Praise God. You see, are you included in the world? So that's so you included in God's love. You know? In this world of ours, you're not always included in everything, right? <laughs> University will exclude you if you're not clever enough. Or you're not intelligent enough. I mean, companies will not include you if you're not qualified enough or if you're overqualified. Unfortunately, some churches will exclude you if you're not good enough. But however, even if they come to exclude you, let me remind you. God so loved the world and you are included in the world, therefore you are included in God's love. When asked to describe the width of his love, he opened one of his arms to the right, the other one to the left, and then he says... I loved you so much that I decided to be nailed on the cross like this for you. Just to let you know that I died loving you and I resurrected for the glory of his name. The glory of God, his father. I just want to, to, to conclude. Isn't there a limit for God's love? What do you think? Surely, there must be a limit to his love. You think so? Would you? But let me tell you, David, the adulterer, never thought that. Paul, the killer, never thought that either. Peter, the liar, never crossed his mind. That there was a limit for God's love. When they faced a day-to-day -day life, they went deep into their mistakes. 
But when they encountered God's love, they never felt this way. And what God is doing for you this morning is this. He wants you to return to him, to return to his love. And remember to break that cycle, sin, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess, and sin again. Sin, confess, and resist. Sin, confess, and resist. Because the love of God transformed them, changed their lives. You and I are here this morning. They found their names on God's love list. And I would like to give you good news this morning. Your name is also in God's love list too. Did you know that? Even if you think your parents didn't love you enough, or your friends don't really like you enough, or whoever, or somebody that, you know, made that vow to love you, not love you enough, God still loves you. He will always love you. And you can be sure that if you confess Jesus, Lord and Savior of your life, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I don't know where you are right now in your life in relationship with God, but let me tell you this. How great is God's love? Is there a limit for his love? But he says, return to me. And he said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That means no punishment will come upon you. No punishment will come upon you. Return to me and I will return to you. What will your response be to God this morning? Let's stand, shall we? And I want to read to you to finalize Micah chapter 7, 18, 19. Who is a God like you? who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance. We do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities unto the depth of the sea. Hallelujah. This is how God's love is. If you're here this morning and you feel that you're far away from God, it's a time for you to return to Him. I'm not saying, and I say it again, not for those who have departed from the faith. I say to those who come into church every Sunday, who have their church duties, ministries, but you feel that you've been far away from God. God wants your return. He's, return, he's waiting for you for your return. And let's sing this song together. This is a prayer. And I want you to pray this song with all your heart. If you do that sincerely, He will return to you. Thanks for listening. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. If you want more information about Camrose Baptist Church, visit our website, www.camrosebc.org.uk Follow us on Instagram at Camrose Baptist Church and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Camrose Baptist Church Edgeware.